Good morning and welcome to True Talk. This is your host Samar Jarrah. My co-host Ahmed will be joining me in the coming few weeks. We just started fasting the month of Ramadan. We abstained from food and drink from sunrise to sunset. So we're going to be talking about this annual event where hundreds of millions of Muslims all over the world celebrate. Today we're going to be talking to Imam Azhar Subidar as well as Dr. Adil Eddin. He will tell us a little bit about uh, what happens to our bodies when we are fasting. But before we do that, let's listen to the song by Maher Zain and it's called Ramadan. This is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. This is a pre-recorded show. to True Talk. This is your host, Samar Jarrah, and I'm pleased to say that I have with me Imam Azhar Subidar. Uh, he was born in the West and educated in the West. Uh, he has been serving the needs of Muslim communities across the U.S. Uh, and Florida uh, and beyond since 2002. Um, we've had him before on the radio show. He may sound familiar to you, and it's not because he has been on the show only, but because he's Muslim to give the opening prayer at the Florida State Capitol, uh, Florida Senate, and he delivered the opening prayer at the House of Representatives as well in Tallahassee, Florida. Good morning, Imam Azhar. Good morning to you and salam to all our listeners. Always a pleasure to have you, Imam. Uh, you are fasting. We are fasting, alhamdulillah, the month of uh, Ramadan. It's going to be either 30 days or 29 days. Why do Muslims fast? Well, that's the question a lot of people ask. You don't even drink water. Like, what is this? The, the short and sweet answer is discipline. You see, our body, it has its needs, and we are always cognizant and well aware of the needs of the body. But when it comes to the soul and the spirit, which in Islam is an integral part of our existence, it too requires attention and focus. So Ramadan is where we amplify our focus on the soul with spiritual rejuvenation and spiritual nourishment, prayer, fasting, charity, recitation of the Quran, and we limit the necessity of the body 
so that we can discipline the body while we amplify the soul. So, Imam, did other prophets fast before uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him? Yes, and that's exactly what the Quran tells us that Kutiba alaykum siyam kama kutiba ala ladina min qablikum. To the believers, a uh, fast has been prescribed upon you as it was prescribed on those before you. Uh, every nation, every prophet, uh, and their people fasted. It's an act of devotion which is consistent uh, in the Abrahamic traditions. So what is it about reading the Quran that uh, Muslims love to do during uh, Ramadan? Uh, is it different than reading? I mean, we're supposed to be reciting the Quran and memorizing and studying it. But why why the emphasis so much about reading the Quran for Muslims during the, this month? So it's like, you know, if you go to Costco or Sam's Club and you're passing by one of the aisles, and I'll talk about pre-COVID, and they offer you a sample you know, a sample of chips, a drink, or whatever else, the purpose of those free samples isn't to feed us lunch. It is to introduce us to something we've never tried before. And when you try it, you'll like it, and you'll go ahead and purchase it. In the same fa- in the same fashion, when it comes to Ramadan, Allah, through this prescribed method that he has prescribed to us, we don't eat from dawn to sunset and we recite the Quran and do other acts of devotion which we may do outside of Ramadan but we amplify this Ramadan so that we can experience spiritual energy and power yes Ramadan is the month in which the Quran was revealed and yes it is the month in which we have these extra prayers at night where the Quran is completed within 30 days in those prayers there is a culture in the Muslim community to grasp on the Quran more than ever before. The hopes is that through this taste test, you're intrigued, you feel energy, you feel, you feel serenity in your soul, you feel tranquility, and you continue to do it beyond that one month. You mentioned Salah, and I think you mean the Taraweeh, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit about it, uh, Imam Azhar, and for our listeners, if you're just joining us, this is Samar Jarrah on WMNF. This is True Talk, and I'm talking to Imam Azhar Subidar. Uh, He is one of the most uh, energetic young imams uh, that uh, teach all over uh, the USA. Uh, He was uh, actually the first Muslim to give the opening prayer at the Florida State Capitol a few years ago. And we're talking about the fasting of month of Ramadan. And I really want you to tell our listeners, they know mainly that we pray five times a day, but there is something extra that we do during Ramadan. Can you elaborate on that? So to understand the cycle of fasting, you complete your food, anything that you want to eat or drink before the break of dawn. And immediately after nourishing your body, you go nourish your soul with the Fajr prayer, the the morning prayer, the first prayer of the day, and some other extra acts of, of worship. Now, the entire day, you're rejuvenating your soul through prayer and worship and the regular stuff that people do and a little extra more of what they may do seasonally. Now, when you break your fast at the time of sunset, you are re-energizing your body and nourishing it with food, water, etc. Now, when that is done, Muslims around the world proceed to the mosque. And they then, with the final prayer of the day, the Isha prayer, the last of the five prayers, upon completing it, 
there is a special prayer that happens in Ramadan, which consists of 20 units. And these 20 units broken down in two are led by those imams who have memorized the entire Quran. And so every day they do like one of the 30 parts. And by the end of Ramadan, you will complete the entire Quran, listening to it in prayer while also reciting it yourself during the course of the day. So there's a physical energy, then spiritual energy, then again, physical energy, and then spiritual energy one again. It's that combination effect to, as I said before, rejuvenate the soul and allow the soul to come back to life. So after the five uh, prayers, uh, is it the five? Yeah. So like towards the Laisha, uh, so we pray at least what, another one whole hour? Uh, here right now we're doing an hour and uh, 50 so by the time everything is said and done well if you start with Aisha at 9.45 we start with the Tarawih those extra prayers at 10 we're finishing around 11.45 so it is strenuous uh, after all this fasting uh, to be uh, doing the Tarawih and to keep in mind getting home getting ready to get to sleep and then waking back up around 4.30 in the morning to eat again the body is being challenged but the soul is compensating for where the body finds deficiency. So do we have to wake up early in the morning before the uh, morning prayer to eat? I mean, is it a custom or is it uh, something that we have to do it? Because I have missed it so far. So again, there are... Well, Sister Summer, there are cultures that you'll find around the world. Like I personally can attest to in Morocco when I was there in the 90s, uh, they would have a big feast after the Tarawih prayer, after the extra prayers at night, and then sleep and wake up for the first prayer of the day without having any food before that. And it was kind of the tradition there. The point is that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, stated that we wake up and have a pre-dawn meal. He emphasized it. It's not a mandatory thing, but he emphasized it because he wanted us to firsthand experience something known as barakah. Barakah means divine blessing. That in the little that you eat right before the break of dawn, there is a sense of blessing in that food or water, irrespective if it's just a cup of water and a date. And that will give you energy through the course of the day. So again, it's that Costco testing thing. Try it and and experience it. So yeah, if you don't do it, it's perfectly fine. And if you do it, it's also good. Again, it's for us to experience something outside of what we've made to be the norm for ourselves. So who is supposed to pray and who is exempt? uh, Sorry, who is supposed to fast and who can be exempt from fasting? Well, that's a very interesting question because many people say, are are your children fasting? Well, of course not. Kids don't fast. Anyone under the age of puberty does not fast. They're not recommended to fast. In some homes, like in my own, my youngest one is saying, I want to fast. So we let them fast from breakfast to lunch, no snack, and then from lunch to dinner with no snack. And they feel empowered that, okay, I fasted. It's because there's an energy in the home, everyone's doing it and they want to do it. But it's not mandatory on children. It's not mandatory on the sick. It is not mandatory on the traveler. Matter of fact, it's exempt on them. Like they're not supposed to. Not only are they exempt, they're not allowed to fast when they're sick. They're not allowed to fast when they're traveling. And there are many other scenarios in which fasting is either exempt or not 
permitted for an individual. In the case of a person who's terminally ill, they will never fast, but they will pay a small amount to feed poor people to compensate for their inability to fast. Those who are temporarily sick and hope for health and healing up the road, they will then make up those fasts when they're healthy, irrespective of if it's one year or five years down the road. And they can, uh, uh, like people who for some reason, like let's say I'm traveling and I'm able to fast, I can, I have one whole year to make it up and fast any other day. Uh, you have more than a year. It's best that you make it up sooner than later because, of course, none of us know how long we have in our life. We want to make sure that we pay our dues to Allah. But if uh, if it takes more than a year, it's perfectly fine. It's not frowned upon that you didn't complete the makeup fast of the previous year before this Ramadan. If you didn't, just keep a number count and keep on chipping away until you get it done. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF and I'm talking to Imam Azhar Subidar and we're talking about the month of Ramadan, which uh, hundreds of millions of Muslims are fasting all over the world, including, of course, uh, here uh, in the USA. Charity is an important part and a pillar, uh, zakah is a pillar of Islam. It seems that we like to do it during the Ramadan month. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, Imam? So it's interesting how of the five pillars of Islam, uh, which are the foundations of our structure of life, one being faith, prayer, charity, fasting, and then pilgrimage. These two are intertwined, and that's happened over time, where people feel Ramadan is the only time which we want to detach. It's not the only time. It's a good time. It may be the best time, but I believe the best time is the time when there are needs out there for us to fulfill. See, the Muslim community feels that if I do my charity, my 2.5% zakat, which is mandated on any person who has a sum of money or has goods that accumulate to a certain sum of money, around 1500 bucks, they have to give charity. The reason they want to do it in Ramadan and they're inclined to do it in Ramadan is because the deeds that you perform in Ramadan, its reward is amplified. And so they want to amplify the reward of their charity by giving it in this month. Now, that's fine. It's good. A lot of people give their zakat, they calculate it and do it in this month, which is perfectly fine. But I feel that it's better if you calculate it in this month, you give a portion thereof in this month, and you hold a portion for needs that may arise within the next few months. Because we're seeing global tragedies, uh, volcanoes and earthquakes and things that happen, man-made disasters and the consequences thereof. And there are people who need money at that moment. If we're going to say, oh, I even Ramadan, I don't want to give any more. It really defies, it actually fails a purpose, right, of giving charity in Islam. So yes, Muslims give and Muslims love to give in Ramadan and that includes a 2.5% mandatory charity and in addition to that feeding the poor, feeding those who are fasting because there's a lot of reward around helping others and as I said earlier, amplified during this month of Ramadan. And Imam, we're going to know when is Ramadan over. Uh, can you tell people, because they always like wonder why sometimes we are hesitant about starting the fasting and hesitant about ending it. It has to do with sighting the moon. Can you 
tell us a little bit about that because it confuses sometimes even some Muslims. Sure. So, Sister Summer, if to, to understand it, uh, there are many other cultures and religions around the world that follow the lunar cycle for their practices and their observances. Uh, it's something that is, is is well known across the world to follow the lunar calendar. In Islam, uh, the caveat here is that in Islam, we go by the sighting of that moon. We don't just go by the mere birth of the moon. It is very easy to predict or calculate, sorry, not predict, but calculate the birth of a moon because it's a very clear cut cycle. But when it comes to the sight uh, sighting of the moon, it goes down to the sightability of it. So the Muslim world has struggled for decades when it comes to sighting the moon because you're talking about different time zones across the world. For us in America, we're kind of at the end of it. Uh, it starts from, you're talking about Australia, New Zealand, coming all across Asia, Arabia, Africa, Europe, and then into the Americas. After California and Seattle, it's kind of a new day starting again from the Pacific. So we we lacked the technology back then to coordinate effectively and on time for people to know if a moon was sighted. It becomes more difficult when the moon hasn't been sighted as it crosses the Atlantic Ocean and now the ball's up, like the ball's in our court to find it for ourselves. Other countries have already made a determination. We didn't sight the moon. We're starting the day after. So for us, we're talking about three, four different time zones to look for it. It's been a struggle. I'm not going to say it hasn't been a struggle. And it's because of this struggle, it's been because of the criterias, the lack of broadness in the criteria or the rigidness and the narrowness in one's criteria that a lot of people have opted to something known as calculation where they'll calculate the sightability of the moon and they'll just go ahead without the hassle of looking for it. Although calculations is something that's being pushed in America and across the world, it's something many scholars who understand the limitations in our Sharia are not adopting or accepting. We have uh, criteria of global moon sighting, the moon sighting anywhere in the world. However, it's sighted with a binoculars, telescope, we acknowledge it, we accept it, and we go with it. So uh, there was a bit of hesitancy this Ramadan, just three days ago, because the moon sightability based on professional astronomers around the world was it would have been seen in the Caribbean, Central America, or California. Uh, Florida didn't see it. Many other states, including Texas, we didn't see it. It was cloudy. Uh, but uh, San Diego came to survive us and save us, sorry, uh, at the 11th hour, uh, San Diego cited it and we started our Ramadan accordingly. So again, there's two ways of doing it. There's those who say, I don't want to go through the hassle and tell my boss, I don't know if I'm going to be off tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. So let's just calculate it and be done with it. And there are others who say, you know what, we're working in tandem with astronomers and professionals around the world. They're going to tell us when the moon is born and where it's going to rise from and where the sightability is possible. And we're going to go according to that. So yeah. And uh, let me just remind our listeners, we're talking to Imam Azhar uh, Subedar. I worked with Imam Azhar on several uh, occasions here in Florida, um, very well-learned and uh, young uh, scholar. But you are also um, the uh, founder of an app that I just saw uh, on uh, the uh, iTunes store or Apple store. Uh, it's called the Quran Trek app. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, as a Muslim and uh, someone who was born in Canada, raised in America, uh, graduated from England, I was not exposed to the culture and the norm in the East, Eastern 
part of the world, the Muslim world. And after starting my service in Florida, where I was uh, honored to serve the community that you also reside, reside in, uh, I saw that you know there was a lot of emphasis being made uh, in the East and now in the West on education and knowledge. You have to learn. Uh, you have to learn Arabic. You have to understand what the Quran is saying. And to me, that stood out as a problem because 82% of the Muslim world uh, is non-Arab. And if Arabic was the criteria for every Muslim to be a better Muslim, uh, it takes years. I studied Arabic language in, in my master's that took 10 and a half years. Arabic was something throughout those 10 and a half years. Uh, it, it goes very deep, this language. So I was seeking to understand the simplicity of our religion and the lifestyle that our religion is propagating to us outside the red tape of sects of Islam, schools of thoughts, ideologies and scholars and fatwas. It was becoming too complicated. And so in my final year in Port Charlotte in 2015, this effort began. I started writing a book uh, which was called Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Modeled by the Quran, where we decode the Quran and bring forth the core message of each chapter. And then with that, we add an exercise regiment, not like physical exercise, although we do have that too. It's spiritual exercises of discipline to help you adopt that code into your life. I taught that class across the country. New Jersey and Dallas and other places in Florida. And then I ultimately decided that, you know, we're aging. It's not possible to keep teaching it. So that book was incorporated into an app, which is globally accessible. It launched two months ago. We have close to 1,000 trekkers uh, trekking on this app. It's something you do on your time, at your pace, with your availability. It helps you become a better version of yourself. And um, it, it's working. I'm gonna down. I promise you, I'm gonna download it. But I'm glad you uh, mentioned the idea that your uh, mother tongue is not Arabic, uh, even like your parents. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I am, of course, now reading the Quran, and I have no idea how many times I have read it for Ramadan and, of course, for school when we were young. Every single time, Imam, I read it, there is a new word or a new meaning. I mean, it's tough. And every time I read it, I realized how much harder it is on you and the Muslims who are not Arab. Uh, it's, I mean, like, I feel I am rewarded for reading it, but for other people, this is strenuous. This is extremely difficult. And I wish for... Muslims who are of Arab background would all volunteer their time uh, and try to teach Muslims who do not have Arabic as their basic language to help them. It's very, very tough. I don't know how you made it, how you are able to read it and speak it. Because uh, again, like you mentioned, there is the spoken Arabic with many dialects, and then there is the Fusha, which is the language of the Quran, like the classical Arabic, and it's tough. Will your app address this? Like, will your app help these people speak it or just read it and understand it? Our app is so unique. Alhamdulillah, it has nothing to do with whatever's out there. We're not teaching people Arabic. We're not teaching people school of thought. We're not teaching them a sect of Islam. This is for people who are new to Islam, people who are scholars in Islam. It's to help you better your lifestyle and your lifestyle practices through the navig through navigating uh, the Quran. We've made the Quran in Quran track. The Quran is a map. Uh, 
and you're trekking that map. You're trekking different scenes, different landscapes, different uh, uh, terrains. And in that, you're creating within yourself a discipline. We're not focusing on the Arabic language because I believe the Quran isn't about, it's not about understanding what Allah is saying to you. It's about understanding what Allah is asking of you. And that's what we focus on. And that's what's made it very unique and intriguing that raises eyebrows of many people that, whoa, this is, for, I can do this. And we help you through this. When it comes to the spiritual exercises, which are, of course, in Arabic, some of them, we have the Arabic written, we have the transliteration written, we have the translation written. We also have an audio for those who don't want to use either of those three so that they can adopt that spiritual practice in any way shape or form and it's again on their time on their effort so yeah it's different and i think inshallah when you just when you start the first step itself we start with a case study a 313 people survey from around the world of how they engage with the quran and it speaks for itself can non-muslims use it hundred percent. I believe just like in any religion, certain practices have become global, have become trending in our world where people seek. There are people in our world that are seeking inner peace and serenity. They're seeking meaning and understanding to life. And they turn to other religions or other religious practices to find that this app has been uh, created in a way that it's not exclusive to any of the 1.8 billion Muslims out there. And it's not even exclusive to them as an acute cumulative body it's a, it's exclusive it's inclusive of everyone anyone can try it muslim or non-muslim and i'm confident that they will find meaning and purpose in it inshallah and it's called quran trek quran is q u r a n trek is t r e k finally imam azhar anything interesting you're working on you have been very active in the past few years in uh, um interfaith dialogue and uh, like I've seen you I think in prayers uh, when uh, President Biden was running for election I mean you're very active anything interesting you're working on at the moment or at least before Ramadan or at least before COVID I know COVID had put a hold to so many activities Um, so can you tell us what you're working on these days So here in Dallas right now, I'm working on a lot of interfaith work uh, with our interfaith partners here. There's a lot of work to be done here. I have an interfaith uh, event coming up with UT Dallas right after Ramadan with uh, an Iraqi scholar coming into town. Uh, I'm working on bringing forth understanding of what Islam is, not to sugarcoat it, not to cover it up, but to expose it for what it is. And there's a lot of misconception and misunderstanding out there. Yes, it was an honor to uh, deliver a prayer uh, for on behalf of the Muslim community on the inauguration of our President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris uh, in the interfaith inaugurational service. Uh, and it's just a step in that direction. So there's a book coming out that myself and a dear friend of mine, Bob Geary, who is in Florida, have been working on for five, six years now. I shelved it after moving here and my and because of my workload, but it's going to be addressing Sharia. It's going to present the case of Sharia. Bob Geary, as a Jewish uh, friend of mine, is going to uh, present a rebuttal to it, the common consensus in America and around the world as to what Sharia is. And we're going to bring forth clarity because I feel that until I don't present the narrative of my faith, it's hijacked by people who are ignorant of it or who want to abuse it for their personal gains. And I feel it's an obligation upon myself to bring forth clarity. So that's in the pipeline. 
And we're hoping that uh, by the end of this year, that book will launch and it will be published. You're very busy, Imam Azhar. Thank you, Nathan, so much. Thank you. Yes, go ahead, Steve. I want to just add one thing, and this is for our Muslim listeners out there who are uh, fasting in the month of Ramadan, they're praying, and they're worried about their COVID shot. They're like, I think it's not good for me to take my COVID shot because I'm fasting. It may ruin my Ramadan. It may break my fast. So I just wanted to clarify in light of all the ongoing effort in our country and in our world for vaccination, taking the vaccine does not break your fast. If you're fasting and your vaccine is scheduled, go and take it. If you're hesitant to schedule one and you're able to schedule one, go ahead and schedule it. And with the name of Allah, go and take it. If Allah forbid you get sick that same day, break your fast. If you're not able to fast the next day, don't fast, make it up after, but please do take the vaccine. It's a need and a necessity of our time. And we pray that this pandemic is removed from our world very soon. Amin. This is very important. Um, I thank you very much, uh, Imam Azhar, for mentioning that. It never crossed my mind, uh, you know, what is the religious legality when it comes to vaccination. So grateful that you mentioned that and so grateful that you have been on True Talk, Imam Azhar. Thank you so much for having me again. Our pleasure. Thank you. Welcome back to True Talk. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Imam Azhar. And I want to remind our listeners that they can go to Facebook slash True Talk Radio. Once you go to Facebook, uh, type after dot com slash True Talk Radio and it will take you to the page of our radio show. We have all the stories posted. Uh, For instance, last week we had a conversation with Steve Sosaby. So if you go to that website, uh, Facebook slash True Talk Radio, you will find a link to the story. You can listen to it, but you can also read about it. There is, for instance, a link to an interview I had with Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, who is a professor at the University of San Francisco we spoke about uh, feminism but especially an Egyptian woman named Nawal Saadawi um, she was um, she passed away a few weeks ago you will find a conversation that we did with Stephen Zunas a conversation that we had with Mike Eisner um, really interesting stories that uh, we have posted on the Facebook slash True Talk Radio. Also, if you go to my website, which is like my name, Samar Jarrah, S-A-M-A-R, J-A-R-R-A-H dot com and also you will find links to the shows. You can share them on Twitter, on Facebook, you can email them. It would be great to share these conversations. They are unique. We don't usually, I mean you don't usually listen to conversation with an Egyptian like Muhammad Suleiman to tell you about the Suez Canal and what happened with that uh, ship that got stranded Uh, You don't get to talk to an American uh, Jew about being an Arab Jew, like the conversation we had with Mas'ud Hayoun about his book, 
when we were Arabs. So interesting uh, material, interesting stuff that you can access either via Facebook slash True Talk Radio or my website. And as I mentioned, you can email them and share them and spread this information. And uh, always remember that you don't need to wait for fundraising to fundraise and support uh, True Talk. You can always go to WMNF.org and click on the schedule, click on Friday, click on True Talk, and you can always um, uh, donate. Um, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the physical aspect of Ramadan, the health aspect of Ramadan, like we're fasting so many hours uh, a day and in my case I don't wake up in the morning to take this early meal or late meal, so I'm practically deprived of food and water for more than, I think I calculated yesterday, it was almost like more than 20 hours was it 20 or 18? That's a long time. I can't go on a diet for a few hours, but I can be deprived of food and water, and I cook, and I prepare the meal for my family, and I, uh, I mean, I do everything. Like, I go shopping, I fill my car with the gas. So it's not like I'm sitting and doing nothing. So how can we do that? Like, how can science explain that? This is what you're going to be hearing. And thanks for always tuning to True Talk on WMNF. It's everywhere, so much peace fills up the air. Ramadan, month of the This is a pre-recorded show. to True Talk. This is your host, Sama Jarrah, and I'm pleased to say that I have uh, on the phone with me Dr. Adil Eddin. He's a cardiologist and internist in the Tampa area. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. How are you? I am good, alhamdulillah, fasting and enjoying the uh, month of Ramadan. But uh, I want to know, doctor, what happens to the body when we fast? Uh, It's not uh, like uh, going on a diet. It's different. A lot of great things uh, happen. Um, you know, 
the God Almighty said, "When tasumu khairan lakum," meaning if you fast, it's good for you. In kuntum if only if you knew. And the, the modern science and um, uh, have proven enormous uh, benefits to the body, uh, both physical, mental, psychological um, wellness that comes in with fasting. So I'm just going to uh, go over that, and this is for having to anybody. Uh, the Muslim fast is much more uh, intense uh, with no food or drink, but uh, people can get some benefit, uh, you know, if, if they're not uh, Muslims, but they still can get benefit if they can, um, you know, get up, uh, give up solid food and they can do just liquids or smoothies. Uh, but it all have to do with, um, you know, the, the benefit of your fast 15 hours from sunrise to sunset, provided that you have now two meals rather than three and you get tanked up on fluid so you don't get dehydrated, especially with the you know, hot summer. If you're working outside, you got to modify your schedule so you, you don't end up uh, in a situation uh, where you become extremely dehydrated. Obviously, uh, yeah, fasting is exempted if somebody's sick or traveling or take regular medication or pregnant uh, you know, uh, 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 ladies or uh, if someone uh, going uh, through a uh, you know, menstrual cycle. This all are exempted. Uh, children less than uh, uh, 10, they could attempt to have a few hours a day, but then after that, they can start the training uh, 10 onwards for those who can actually, you know, uh, do it. And then with the encouragement and, and uh, support, I think uh, everybody will get to that point where it becomes a, a totally, um, you know, um, uh, easy and, uh, you know, becomes in uh, built in the, in the training. The benefits, uh, just to enumerate few, uh, of fasting will include uh, for hypertension, for high blood pressure. It will help to, you know, uh, uh, lower the blood pressure by so many mechanisms. Part of it is uh, is the um, uh, is a relaxation and uh, uh, and uh, decreased uh, stress and the inner peace that comes in with fasting. Also, decreased fluids with uh, food which have a sodium intake, so that could help. As well, uh, there is a benefit on the cholesterol. People have high cholesterol and triglycerides. Both are two bad um, fats that they can clog the arteries and cause you know heart problems. You can get down as, as down as uh, seventy points in a, in a month of Ramadan. Obviously, if you watch your diet as well, you know you cannot get these uh, benefits unless somebody's really uh, watching uh, what they eat and, and what they can you know consume and so on. The um, the uh, type two diabetes can benefit tremendously from uh, from fasting uh, with the much better improved control of blood uh, blood sugar. That's why most of the people I tell them when the Muslims when they go to fast, they have to lower their uh, oral hypoglycemic medication, oral diabetic medication by half at least and if you're going to take it take it during the iftar which is the bigger meal at sunset don't take it at the suhoor because of the risk of possibly um, causing low blood sugar and then uh, you know that that could uh, be a problem so, uh, so go ahead doctor go ahead sorry sure um, inflammatory bowel uh, disease any inflammation uh, that it takes care in the body gets benefited from fasting the inflammation is the uh, mechanism that leads to chronic disease. And chronic disease is 85% or the 90% of cost of healthcare. So if we uh, you know, adjust all these uh, facts when it comes to, for instance, uh, coronary artery disease, arthritis, degenerative joint disease, chronic pain, 
uh, the depressed immune system. Uh, when the people fast, the, that's the, the um, especially in the Muslim fast, uh, there will be an opportunity for the body to get rid of uh, dead cells, if you would. The body goes through complete turnover every 10 years. So when where is the dead cells are, the, is going to go? Where can the body going to be purged? If they don't have that mechanism of uh, fasting to get rid of the dead cells, because of this programmed cell death uh, that goes around um, in a you know constantly rebuilding um, you know the the body uh, after ten you know every ten years. Uh, if they don't go out, well, they're gonna go and maybe precipitate on the coronary arteries, causing blockages, coronary artery disease, or go to the joints, causing arthritis and stiffness and pain, or go to the colon, for instance, calling colon cancer. So, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, wanted to tell people that uh, there's, uh, you know, huge benefit. It can help to sharpen the brain function uh, and it uh, can delay or prevent neuro, uh, you know, changes, i.e. dementia uh, and decrease uh, intellectual uh, function. So actually fasting sharpens your brain uh, and increase growth hormone secretions. So that will lead to weight loss and strengthen the muscles. It could also lead to um, uh, delay aging um, and maybe also extend longevity. Obviously, this is in the hands of God Almighty, but, you know, there, if you live healthy, then, then, then you could potentially go a little longer. Uh, it also helps to improve the effectiveness of chemotherapy. The most important thing that's related now is, uh, is two things with COVID. It can help the immune system because it, it, it manufactures new uh, cells from the bone marrow uh, and, uh, you know, Ramadan, 30 days, and then uh, part of the sunnah or following uh, the, uh, the deeds of the Prophet, والسلام, you know, to um, peace be upon him, six days fasting in the month of Shawwal. So if you do 30 times six, for, uh, that's 36, and each uh, of days give you a ten of fasting, give you 10 days of protection of the immune system so you have the whole entire year uh, you know have immune system uh, protected and uh, fasting has a very powerful effect on depression uh, it's a it's an antidepressant and it's a mood elevator and there's actually a neural um, substances called endorphins that being secreted it's just like getting uh, high naturally uh, give you happiness you know, with, with fasting and all the activities that's related around fasting, like uh, prayer, like reading Quran, charity, uh, volunteering, and, and social events with community gathering and so on. So I just wanted to touch base, um, you know, at least let people understand and appreciate the beauty and of, and of fasting and its benefits. Let me just remind our listeners that they're listening to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM and we're talking to Dr. Adil Adin, who's a cardiologist and an internist and he's telling us about the benefits of fasting. Why doctor, uh, like it was so easy for me not to drink coffee in the morning and not to have uh, tea. Why is it easier during fasting to let go of all these uh, things that we think we cannot live without it? Like I cannot think uh, on my daily uh, day that I can wake up and not have coffee. Why is it so easy to let go of all these addictives uh, during uh, fasting? What does it, 
what is it is it mental is it psychological is it physical um it's it, you know the addiction is um mostly uh, uh chemical part but there's also a habitual part that uh comes in with repeated use of certain something obviously caffeine is a addictive substance. There's no ifs and buts about it. In the first uh, couple of days um, of fasting, most people experience uh, a little bit of headache. That's where caffeine withdrawal, uh, but usually it goes away uh, when, when people drink uh, coffee at, um, um, you know, iftar time. Uh, but it's not really a, a big issue. I'm worried more about um, you know, people getting the opportunity to get rid of all the toxins that actually kill I'm talking about smoking, vaping, hookah, all these toxins that goes and 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 I see every day, uh, you know, people who have heart disease and cancers and so all that and you know and and when asked, you know, it's very, you know, uh, obvious that this is a direct cause of relationship, and maybe uh, I'm begging, you know, people, anyone who's you know, using that, especially uh, for Muslims, uh, you know, they're not supposed to do no harm to themselves or the people around them when they smoke or vape or, or have, you know, hookah because it's they're not only damaging their body, but also damaging the people around them being passive smokers. And let's take this opportunity to do a real culture change and really get back to the basic of fasting. Um, you know, that you're supposed to really get rid of, you know, bad habits and uh, eating and indulging and, and, and so on and uh, focus on, you know, really, um, um, you know, your worship and, and, and uh, pleasing uh, Allah and getting closer to his book and, and just kind of really uh, meditate and, um, uh, and, and, and recharge the spiritual battery that, that carries you on, you know, till the next Ramadan. I want to ask you, doctor, uh, whenever like we speak to non-Muslims about fasting, uh, they always say, but not water, not water. And on the other hand, doctor, all the time, doctors are telling us to drink more water. So how is it possible for the body to function for like more than 10 hours without uh, water? That's beautiful. I, I, I really appreciate that question. You, that's why I mentioned earlier, you have to tank up on, on fluid and in the Suhoor time. And I tell everybody to drink, uh, you know, during the time when you're allowed to eat and drink before, you know, be, you know let's say between uh, 8, 8 o'clock or 7.58 in the p.m. till, um, you know, 5.40, uh, 6 a.m., um, seeing the time between, uh, you know, Maghrib and, and Fajr prayers. So, or you're supposed to, you can, you can eat and drink up, drink about four to six bottles of water at least. So if you do that, you'll be fine. You're supposed to get some mild degree of dehydration. But if you don't drink uh, enough and then go into fasting with, with, with already, you know, like pre-existing dehydration, you know, the body's 80% uh, uh, water. And, uh, you know, the, the, some people are very sensitive to, you know, even uh, mild changes in, in, in the volume uh, of fluids, body fluid. So uh, they may become dizzy, lightheaded, and so on. So I tell everybody, tank up with fluid, you'll be fine. Um, if you follow the, the good suhoor, there's a barakah, there's blessings in to have this early pre-dawn meal. And, of course, uh, don't, don't overindulge in the, in the iftar. You may just do a light, uh, you know, you know, breaking fast with uh, dates and water. Please, I beg everybody, do not, do not use soda. Soda, uh, and, uh, you know, people just break the fast uh, on that. It will lead to kidney failure. 
because yeah. people dehydrated for a long time and, and uh, there's a, a toxin that goes into the, the kidney. And then if you have soda on top of that, uh, it will go straight uh, and make that toxins actually precipitate in a higher concentration in the kidney and lead to kidney failure. So, so no soda. Sorry, doctor. What's the ideal way to break the fasting? The idea to it is exactly to emulate what uh, uh, the best of humanity, our beloved Prophet Muhammad, والسلام, peace be upon him, water and dates. This is when you break that, that will give you sugar, uh, immediately go into the bloodstream and goes into the brain cells, so you get energy, you get sharpness, and you will, you'll, you'll feel so good and, uh, and rejuvenated immediately. And with the water, you know, that will help the, the dehydration part. So with that, you, you may have a little soup, and then you go into the Maghrib prayer. Uh, after, after that, you, may, you, know, you can go and have a sensible kind of meal, uh, you know, uh, vegetable salad, um, you know, and uh, maybe uh, a little bit of, um, you know, uh, fruits as well, fresh fruits. Um, and if somebody would want to have coffee or tea, that's fine. One cup is enough. And then you get ready because you don't want to stuff yourself before going to the tarawih. Uh, that will help you. Yeah, let me remind our listeners, we're listening to Dr. Adil Adin, a very interesting conversation. He's a physician, he's a cardiologist and internist, and he's telling us about the habits, uh, about the benefits of fasting Ramadan, but also how to break the fasting. What about exercise, uh, doctor? Exercise is okay, mild. I'm not getting extraneous because uh, if you do that while you dehydrate it, again, there's potential breakdown of muscles that, again, uh, can, it's called rhabdomyolysis, can, can damage the kidney. So I would rather a mild, you know, walking, um, you know, biking, just to, uh, you know, not like, a, you know, um, 20 miles or something. Something reasonable and sensible uh, uh, without um, heavy exertion. Uh, when you when you break the fast and and you feel good and so on, you want to take a stroll or jog, uh, you know, in the evening. Uh, that that should be no problem as well. I want to thank you so much, doctor, for being on uh, True Talk and Ramadan Kareem, inshallah. Inshallah, thank you so much, and all you and your listeners, inshallah. Thank, thank you. you so much. I appreciate it. Assalamu alaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Hey, where are you off to? What's the rush? I'm going up the hill to see the Ramadan moon. Wow, well, is it happening tonight? Will you see it tonight? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Can we come with you? Yeah, sure, come along. Okay. All the people are coming and going, getting ready, toing and froing. There's a buzz in the world tonight. People are so excited. Daddy's coming home soon, hoping to see the moon, hoping to catch a sight. Everyone's so happy. Moon, moon, come out soon, we're off to see the Ramadan moon. Child ship, forget, city without your We want to see the Ramadan moon. Started, and the moon has just been sighted. Tomorrow we all fast. Every Muslim mass. Naisha time is here. And it's time to leave for prayer. The Imam is in the mosque. The Quran is in his heart. Moon, 
WMNF Tampa 88.5 on the left side of your dial. Stay tuned for NPR News. 